And if you would, please take a moment, turn with me to Ephesians 1. We're going to start in verse 15. Two weeks ago, I was preaching on this situation. We have one more in the back. Sorry, Zach. Everybody give it up for Zach. Really. And while he's doing that, I want to say this as well. This past Wednesday night, we had our uh, Awana Awards ceremony, and all the kids who received different awards, and I think it's really important for us to say thank you, thank you, thank you to Deb and Scott and all that they do. Yeah. Really amazing. A lot of time, effort, energy, prayer, everything. So thank you guys so, so much. So two weeks ago, I was preaching a sermon, and I had to stop because we ran out of time. Yeah, I know. It's profound. And so, this is us picking up that, and maybe fleshing out the idea a little bit more. One thing to remember about the book of Ephesians, is the book of Ephesians has been used by the Holy Spirit to instill in people one amazing truth, if not many amazing truths. And that is the fact that everything that we are that is worth anything at all, in all of eternity, is because of the Lord Jesus gracing us with it. And so Ephesians is very much about grace. It's very much about continually reiterating to a people who have every reason to be uncertain, maybe waffling about the assurance of their salvation, maybe not really grasping onto, you know, well, well, well good grief, I'm saved, but then what? You know, or so what? Sometimes people get like that. If you get like that, that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're teetering on the edge of not being saved anymore or something like that. But there's always this bursting sometimes about asking the idea, is there something more? It's not that we devalue the fact that Jesus died on, our cro- on, on the cross for our sins. It's not that we're devaluing that. But you start to recognize that the more that you obey the Lord, the harder life gets. You know, anybody that shared the gospel with you and talked about unicorns and puppy dogs after the case, uh, I don't know. Invite them to church. It'll be good. Um, the fact is, is it gets harder. And the reason is, is because we have been graciously graduated out of the natural realm into the supernatural realm. In all that time, we've had supernatural forces pounding against us. We maybe didn't recognize it. But also in that time, we were marching in lockstep with everything that Satan desired. People are ignorant and on their way. Why disturb that? Why not let them just go ahead and march themselves off the edge of a cliff and fall headlong into hell? That would be his design anyway. But when people hear the gospel and they wake up, when the Holy Spirit gets their attention and they believe in Christ and they recognize that everything that they were ever taught in life was actually a lie, it is incredible that the Bible comes in and absolutely rehashes our entire perspective of how we see the world. And so Paul begins this letter by going through, speaking of all of these blessings, we actually have every spiritual blessing in Christ, but then he bursts into this prayer that has some very interesting ramifications to it. Now again, we've gone over this. I don't want to spend too much time. uh, But I do want us to look at maybe starting verse 15. He begins the transition. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And here's his prayer. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the... What is it, church? No. Epignosis. Thank you. We spent way too long on that for you guys to, to bail on me now. In the deep, accurate, precise knowledge of God. Thank you, Sue. In other words, does, he, does God want us to know Him? Well, absolutely. Everything that we see around us testifies to His glory, and then He's also taken the time to put together 66 books that have one big invitation. Know me. Know me. Know me. And there's no end to the depths of which we can know Him. And this is the reason why Paul employs this word, epignosis, to come into a more accurate, precise, deeper, plunge into the depths of the knowledge of God. Notice this isn't something that you can just automatically do. I think I'm going to decide today that I'm going to plunge into the depths of the deeper, more accurate knowledge of God. You can purpose that all day long. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals it. This is why it is a spirit of wisdom, knowledge applied, okay, and revelation. The Spirit has to unveil it for us. He has to pull back the curtain so that we can finally see it. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. There's the illumination of the Holy Spirit making this possible. So that, remember, so that is the reason, you will know what is the hope of His calling. That's the first thing. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? That's the second thing. But then the third point, He grabs onto, and He just runs a marathon with. And this is actually what stretches us into chapter 2. And this is why when they put that big large two in your print, if it causes our minds to make a break in the train of thought, it actually does more harm than good. So if you're like me, one of the, one of the best tools I have for Bible study is one of those little whiteout things. I have all kinds of goofy things whited out. Most of it's my notes that I had to white out because I learned something new and had to go over it, okay? <clears throat> Nothing wrong with that. We're all learning. Notice, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Now here's the question. Do you believe that God has surpassing power working in your favor? And I don't mean in like a charismatic health, wealth, and prosperity way. Do we really truly believe it? Paul wants you to know it. I asked that, and we maybe heard about 15 people say yes. But Paul wants everyone in the room to say, yes! Thank you. He wants us all to rejoice in it. He wants us to say without a shadow of a doubt. And why does he, what, what, what does he do in order to get this to be a reality in our lives? He prays for us. Notice he doesn't set up a plan, get out an itinerary, got to have everything in line in order for this to work. You know, every, every nook and cranny has got to be spotless in this. He's not about setting up a formula in order to bring about a result. He simply takes one step. I'm going to ask God to make it a reality in your life. He understands the power of prayer. And he understands that if for some reason we might be in a situation where we're fractional on his inheritance that he has in store for us, or we're fractional on the idea of his surpassing greatness of his power, then he understands that prayer asking for God's hand to move in the lives of believers, those who would read this, 
is what's going to end up making the difference. Why? Because we need wisdom and revelation and a greater knowledge of God. So these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ. Now, that accordance with, that's a measurement term. It's him getting out the measuring cups and saying, okay, the surpassing greatness of his power, let's measure this out and let me give you a a, a broad, vivid picture of what it looks like. It's like what he did with Jesus. Now, would we all agree that God's power works mightily in Christ? Yeah, that's like a no-brainer, yes? But notice how he moves us along. The working of the strength of his might, which, which he brought about in Christ, how? When he raised him from the dead, what's that speak of? Resurrection, yes? Notice this. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies. In the heavenly places. So it's not just the dead come to life event that we all know, love, talk about. Our hope is based on the life of Christ. Amen. Praise God. Absolutely. Don't want to discredit in any way. But sometimes we leave off his ascension as the redheaded stepchild of our thinking about God's power in Jesus. And we don't want to do that. I don't mean to say that to offend anybody if you're a redheaded stepchild. Forgive me. Okay? Don't take that seriously. Don't take me seriously on those things. I'm trying to keep your attention in this, okay? I don't feel good. So, and just so you know, my voice is not a mess because I don't feel good. My voice is a mess because on Friday night, I got to go see Striper at the Crystal Grand. And so I'm standing up there, hands up, worshiping. I was loving it. Praise Jesus. It was amazing. I got some cool photos too. But anyway, moving on. (sighs) It was awesome. You don't understand. When everything in my life was unrighteous as a little kid, Striper was the only thing that was righteous. So, it's awesome. Some of you are like, what is going on? Okay, YouTube, check it out. Oh, man. Yeah, it was amazing. Tabitha and Dave went. Yeah, they had tickets, they went too. It was great. They are fantastic. Anyway, yeah, moving on. Okay. So notice, raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, the right hand is a place of privileged position. So this power that he wants us to understand of surpassing greatness, yes, it's from dead to life power, but it's also ascension, elevation, prominent position power. Everybody with me on this? Now watch what happens in that. Where he's ascended is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Those are different classifications of evil spirits. We would call those demons, rankings of demons. And every name that is named, so there's no name that is greater, Not only in this age, not only in the present situation, but also in the one to come. And this left side is going to get me here. No, it's not. Good. Future. The idea is that the power exercised by God in the resurrection and ascension of Jesus is going to preach something of incredible, lasting, highest grade prominence, both presently speaking... And also in the age to come. What is the age to come? The millennial kingdom. Okay? So notice this has got an overarching, multifolded purpose that's going to be executed here. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. He is our head, which is his body, 
We are the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, real quick, I know I talked about this. So let me just hash it real quick for you. What does it mean that we're the full, it's the fullness of his body? Uh, since he is the head, we are his body, all in all. It's the idea that if somebody wanted to get a real-life tangible example of God the Father, you need to look no further than Jesus Christ the Son. He and the Father are one. The one who has seen me has seen the Father, is what he told Philip, okay? So in that situation there, in the same way, now that Christ has ascended to the right hand, he's preparing a place for us, he's going to come back and get us, but he's ascended to a place of high position. We, as the church, are now the visible manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ to this world. Now, how does that take place? Two ways. Sharing the gospel, discipling people in the gospel. That's it. Evangelism, discipleship. There's nothing else for us to do. And if we just focus on that, I promise you, we have our hands and our prayers full. Okay? So that's what it's supposed to be about all the time. Now, forget the big number two and move on into it. And you were past dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. So we used to live along the lines and the thinking as everyone else did. That's why when a Christian has a good idea that was not impressed upon them by either the reading of Scripture or the work of the Holy Spirit, they bring something out and you immediately in your mind, red flags pop up. And you say, that's worldly thinking. How can you classify that? Because anybody who's lost would have come up with that. Because someone who was devoid of the Holy Spirit could have came to that same conclusion. God's not in it. Therefore, that's how I can't move forward. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't need to use sin in order to build the church. It doesn't happen. And so this gives us a means of discernment. Well, guess what? We all used to formally walk in that worldly thinking, worldly ways, handling things in a worldly means. You know, some of us might not speak another language, but when we talk to some people, you would think we did. Anybody catching my drift? Not me. Okay. Stub your toe. Let's see what happens. All right. So now notice, how is the course of this world and worldly thinking set up? It's according to, in measurement with, a way that we can understand it, the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? It's Lucifer, Satan. Exactly how he orchestrated it. Why? Because that's what this world is. The world that you see and that we live in right now is a carefully crafted stitchwork of Satan. I picture those little wood things, right? And you got the cloth over it. And I just picture him just sitting there looking at you like, creepy, right? It's just me. Okay. So notice, it's of the spirit the characteristic and the quality that is now, presently, working in the sons of disobedience. Are we seeing a lot of the manifestation of the sons of disobedience now? Absolutely. Does it surprise you that Lucifer has already orchestrated it to move in that direction? Incredible. So notice, among them, we too, notice Paul's not saying I'm exempt, he's saying all of us are in this boat. We too formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. So if you thought that you wanted to do it, you just went for it kind of idea. And we're by nature children of wrath as rest. In other words, we deserved God to outpour nothing but complete and total damnation on us to wipe us off the face of the earth and then to turn around and justly so 
render a verdict that casts us into a lake of fire forever. It's what we all deserve. Man, that's harsh. That's reality. It's reality of what we deserve. And until we come to terms with the destitute situation that we were actually in apart from God, we will never appreciate His intrusion in our life with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that He shows that lifted us out of that junk and has actually done exceedingly more than we probably ever would have thought. So notice He moves on here. But God, probably the most important phrase in all the Bible, God getting involved. This is our verse. Because he's rich in mercy, already, already merciful, because he's not willing to give us what we've earned or deserved, okay? Because of his great what? Oh, man. Remember, that is his motivation. Same as John 3.16. What motivates a holy creator God to look down upon his people and say, I got to get involved and get in this situation? To keep them from what they have done to themselves. Because if it ain't hard-heartedness, it's hard-headedness, let's be honest. Okay? So not only are they born sinners, but they're going to send their way straight in there. So love is what motivates God to get in the middle of it and do something. Notice, with which he loved us, you know what that is? Personal. Notice, even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we were separated from God, no spiritual life, He made us alive together with Christ. Now remember, this is regeneration. And then it's so great because it's almost like Paul loses it. How many people in here are bad secret keepers? My son's the worst. He is. Dad, you'll never guess what mom got you for Christmas. You know? It's like, I don't want to know. Yes, you do. You know, stuff like that. I know it and you don't. You know, I mean, good grief, man. It's almost like Paul can't keep it in any longer. And it's interesting that the translators came in and threw up a parenthesis here. Because he's telling us all these great things. You were dead and you deserved hell and all this horrible stuff. But then God takes you and he makes you alive. Notice you don't make yourself alive. God is the one who makes us alive. Alive together with Christ, not only about you, but that's good company to be in. And so therefore, it's by grace you have been saved, rescued, delivered. A little comment about this because Paul can't help but to talk about grace. I found this great quote just to break it down. Grace is God's favor apart from any meritorious efforts by the recipient. In other words, when God says, why should I accept you unconditionally? We're there pulling out the insides of our pockets and lint's coming out all over the ground. I got nothing. The last phrase is the perfect passive participle. There'll be a test. The perfect tense stresses the present reality based upon a completed past event. Completed. You know what that tells me? Cross was enough. When Jesus did it, he did a great job. But for me to think I need to add anything to it is blasphemy. The passive voice indicates that those saved did not do the action, but were acted upon. Now, we have a $5 phrase for this. It's called substitutionary atonement. I should have died on this cross. I only have one life. I can only die for one sin. 
Jesus is perfect, having never sinned, came born of a virgin, so he doesn't have the sin nature passed on to him. He lives a perfect life, completely under the law, obedient to everything that God wants, not his will, but the Father's will be done. And when he dies on the cross as a criminal, unjustly, his life is so perfect that he can cover every sin that every person ever committed for all time, past, present, future, doesn't matter when they lived or what they did. It's all washed under the blood, paid in full. So this is him saying, you're not going to do a good job, get off there, and I can get up there, and I won't just do a good job, I'll do a perfect job. It'll be so perfect that God will accept it. How do we know that God accepted the death of Christ? Because God doesn't raise imperfect people from the grave. Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. He's the first one to show us what it's like. And so God, by his power, raises Christ and brings him forward. We were acted upon. Salvation was done on our stead, and it's beneficial to us. Thus, the believer is presently saved by a completed act of God in and through Christ. And the believer did not do anything to save himself, but rather was conferred grace by God. In other words, you couldn't do it. You shouldn't even attempt it. And then if you did do it, there's no way that it could ever be lasting or worth anything at all. You would have died in vain. So I sent my son to die perfectly and to do all of the work so that it becomes grace, completely undeserved for you, and yet he turns around and he offers it freely. Salvation costs somebody something, just not you. It costs God his son, it costs his son his life. But he turns around and he supplies it freely. So now watch this, because now we move into it. What was the big deal about God's power being unfolded and displayed? What we, we're supposed to be aware of what God has done there if we can't see the fact that he's seated in the heavenlies. We can just take God's word for it, and that's okay. He hasn't lied to us yet. He's doing pretty good. He's batting a thousand, so that's okay. But what does that have to do with? Well, notice, it now has implications for us. Just as we were raised up with Christ, he raised us up with him. So that's resurrection. When you became a believer in Christ, you immediately died in him. You were raised in him. You were raised with him at that moment, spiritually speaking. You have a brand new life. This is why God is not interested in polishing up your old life. Your old life has no worth. It cost his son his life. He had to die for it. It's purchased by the blood. You're now his. And he wants to give you a brand new life. He wants his son living his life through your life, because your life is not going to get any better. It's all about Jesus' life being the pinnacle of everything. But notice this, also, it's put us in a situation that we don't see. Just as Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, we too are seated. He seated us. That's you's and me's. Everybody got that? With him, with Christ. You're seated with Christ. You're like, I know these chairs aren't very old, but it doesn't feel like I'm seated with Christ. You're seated with Christ. The word of God that's never been proved wrong is telling me right now as a believer in Jesus that I am already seated with Christ. This is another already spiritual blessing that we have. You are presently, right now, at this moment, seated with Christ. You're like, I'm in Wisconsin. What in the world? Let's talk about it. Notice it gives us the location. Good grief. <clears throat> in the heavenlies. 
in Christ Jesus. You are in him, in the heavenlies, where he is, seated now alongside the Father, and you're there with him. You say, how in the world does that make any sense? Let's do a short little study. Number one, the heavenlies are up. Everybody, if you're right hand to put up your right hand, left hand to put up your left hand. Wiggle them out. Wiggle them out. We're going to go on a flipping escapade. Here we go. You ready? We're going to become major Bible flippers. That should be a show on A&E or something like that. Here we go. Turn to Genesis 11. Let's look at this quickly. We're going to breeze through and see some interesting things. Sometimes we read things in the Word of God and it tells us something very plainly and we still don't believe it. So let's make sure that we do. Heaven is not some mysterious way of life that can be achieved. It's not the idea, it's not the Christian idea of nirvana, anything like that. Heaven's actually a place. Genesis 11, 4 and 5, our first point is, is that the heavenlies are up. Look at verse 4. This is the building of the Tower of Babel. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into where? They know it. Everybody see that? They're building it up to reach into heaven. Even at this time, way before the time of Jesus, they have an Old Testament conception of heaven is up. Okay? Now watch this. It says, whose top will reach into heaven, let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now here's what's great. Yahweh came where? Down, which means he was where? Up. Self-explanatory, isn't it? Everybody see that? Man, you guys are scholars. I love it. Here we go. Everybody turn to John. I know some of you are like wiping your brow now with your bulletin. You're like, praise God, he's out of the Old Testament. That's good. John chapter 1. These are just things for you to jot down real quick. If you want to spend devotional time checking them out, meditating on them, that's great. My point is to prove to you biblically that heaven is up. This is Jesus beginning to accumulate disciples for himself at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Chapter 1, starting verse 49. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens what? Pay attention to that, because that's our next point. The fact that the heavens can be opened. Okay? You see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Up and down, up and down. Everybody see that? It's because of the fact that heaven is open. How about the next one? Acts chapter 1. Just one book over. Acts chapter 1. Verses 9 through 11. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. This is his ascension bodily off the earth. The disciples are watching it. And as they were gazing intently, where? Up into the sky. Look what it says here. While he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood behind them. And they said to him, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into where? Notice that. Heaven is up. Will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Two things. Number one, heaven is beyond the sky. Number two, obviously, it's up. Number three, 
It's all the promise that we need from God's word to say he's coming again in the same way, which means he will come down. Okay? How about this next one? 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. And you know what? For fun, somebody just turn to 1 Corinthians 12 and see what happens while I read. Some of you are with me. That's great. 2 Corinthians 12. This is where Paul speaks about seeing the vision of the third heaven. He's actually caught up. Same Greek word where we get the concept of the rapture from, harpazo. He says here, chapter 12, verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven, up. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise, heaven and paradise called the same thing, and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. It was so profound that he can't even talk about it. It's up. Everybody with me? Last one. 1 Thessalonians 4. I know you're sitting here going, okay, dude, where are you going with this? i got to prep you with this before I give you the next thing. Because the next thing you're not going to believe. 1 Thessalonians, which is right before. Man, see, you guys... Amazing. All of you. MDiv, top-notch seminary. It's great. First Thessalonians 4, look at verses 16 17. <clears throat> For the Lord himself will descend from where? Heaven, which tells us that heaven is what? Up. Okay, now watch this. This is speaking of the rapture. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. This is a physical resurrection of the body then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. That's great. Do you think he just hangs out in the clouds with us? Like we're behind some cumulus clouds somewhere over, you know, Georgia? I don't know. No, he takes us to heaven. Everybody see that? Up. Heaven is where? Okay. Now, here's the next part that I want you to understand. The heavenlies are another dimension. It's not just that they're up. But it is a, presently speaking, parallel reality that is beyond our present reality. You're like, man, this ain't Star Trek. This is the Bible. Yes, but this is where Star Trek ripped it off from. Okay? Let me give you an example. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 1. Everybody remember the heavens opened? Yes? I said make mark of that. Make note of that. Ezekiel chapter 1. <clears throat> Should have had our Awana students stand up and recite the books of the Bible. It's awesome. That's one thing I love. I hadn't gotten to the point of teaching Nathaniel the books of the Bible yet. I didn't have to. Devin Scott did. He knew the song. That's great. Got kids? Put them in Awana. It's great. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about in the 13th year, the fifth day of the fourth month. Don't get messed up by that. He's just giving you time so that you know he's not lying. While I was on the river Shebar, we'll go with it, among the exiles, look what it says. The heavens were what? 
The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In fact, how many of you have read Ezekiel 1 before? Okay, it's the closest thing biblically that we see to an acid trip. I know that. I'm not trying to sound blasphemous. It's true. There are things going on. You're like, what? All these eyes? All these wheels? It's like, and I saw one on the throne. And from the waist down, it was bright. And from the waist up, it was gleaming metal. And you're like, that tells me nothing about the person there. Just they got a waist. That's it. It's an incredible thought. But here's the interesting thing. Ezekiel could not see God in that way unless the heavens were open for him to see it. Why? Because he's on the other side of it. That's the reason why. Because it's another dimension. Like, I'm not convinced yet. That's okay. Go with me to Matthew 3. Again, I gave you guys minimal Old Testament. Stay in the New Testament. We'll see it. This is actually all over the place. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is Jesus' baptism. He goes to John the Baptist, I need to be baptized. It'll be good to fulfill all righteousness. I'm going to do this. Okay, Lord, we're going to do it. Verse 16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were what? They were opened. And and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice came out of the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This isn't just a parting of the clouds. This isn't just the sun goes down and the moon pops up or something like that. This is an opening into the heavenly realm. And the Spirit comes down upon Jesus. John saw this. Incredible. So when we talk about the fact that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we may not have saw heaven open, but here's what we know about this. is the fact that the spiritual can transcend that dimensional space and so influence here why do you think that satan is the god of this world how about this one acts chapter 7 if you're familiar with the book of acts the first martyr that we have after the church age is stephen stephen calls the jewish leaders to account essentially calls on them to repent and tells them you are hard-headed and you are hard-hearted and that is your problem that's okay it's often my problem too But they respond not in humility and humbling themselves before the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus where? At the right hand, just as we saw at the end of Ephesians 1. Look what it says in the next verse, verse 56. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He could not glimpse into the throne room of God unless the heavens were opened for him. How about this one? Last two examples are in Revelation. Revelation chapter 6. Both of these passages, this one and the next one, speak of the exact same event. This is a lot to read, so I'm just going to read it. I'm trying to go quick on time, but I do want to get through this with you. Chapter 6, verse 12, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the moon, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. 
as the fig trees cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll. Does everybody see that? The sky was split apart. When you're done here and you go outside, take a look at that sky. It's pretty, pretty open today. We don't have the overcast Wisconsin gloom going on. Go out there and take a look at that sky. Where does it end? Mm. It ends somewhere. How do we know? Because right here it tells me that the sky was split open like a scroll. You go far enough, you'll hit it. Think about that. Notice it says here, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of their places. The kings of the earth, the great men, the commanders, the rich, the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Why? And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, here it is, and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Why? Because when the sky split open like a scroll, they saw into the throne room of God. Why? Because it's another dimension. Go with me to Revelation 19. This will be the last instance, and then I can start my sermon. Revelation 19. Verse 11, just this one verse. This is the one we commonly know. This is the second coming of Christ. This is his return to earth. Jesus actually comes back five times in Revelation. Don't let anybody fool you on that. Read it for yourself and document them, okay? It's showing you a series of events that go down. But look at this, chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw, the, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is faithful and true and in righteousness. He judges and makes war. Who is that? Jesus. Where did he come from? heaven why because it was open this is the instance when the sky rolls up like a scroll now the heavens are another dimension the bible is a dimensional book in the sense that dimension is a realm of reality sometimes imperceptible but nonetheless genuine human beings live in a dimension subject to the five senses and they tend to make the mistake of believing that anything beyond the realm of those senses simply is not there to accept such reasoning would be a fatal mistake from a biblical perspective. This is why when you go see a psychiatrist and you tell them that something's wrong, they're never worried about the supernatural. They just want to know what's going on in the natural. The idea of spiritual warfare is never even on their radar. It's not. So that's something important to think about. Even as people live in the dimension of earth, so the Bible says there is another dimension of heaven where God reigns as sovereign. This is why we say... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. I want your kingdom to come so that your will will be the rule of law where I live because it's already that way where you live. Transcend the dimension and get it on. I'm excited to see the end. Anyway, moving on. The second dimension of heaven or the throne of God himself is more real than human senses can perceive. It's a dimension that was bridged when God chose to become man in the person of Jesus Christ. Because of him, mankind now has access to a realm of infinite power, indescribable love, and cosmic justice. Now here's the question. So what? Why in the world does that matter? Here's why it does. So that in the ages to come, because he's been given the name above all names, and not only in this age, but in the age to come. In the ages to come, the millennial kingdom, Ephesians 2.7, he might show... That means there's going to be a grand display in the millennial kingdom of something. There's something that God wants everyone in eternity when Jesus takes the throne to look at, to focus all of their power, energy, everything on. He might show 
the surpassing riches. You know what that means? Here's how much riches you have. God has that many. Surpassing. Beyond what you can grasp. Of his what? Grace. How gracious is God? Infinite. But even when we say that, we still can't grasp it, can we? This is God unfolding in the coming kingdom of Christ, the infinitude of His grace in us. The surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us. And where are we? In Christ Jesus. In other words, in the millennial kingdom, every believer in Christ is going to be a reflective display of the full magnitude of just how gracious God is in exercising the surpassing greatness of His power and taking dead sinners who are in trespasses and elevating them up, making them alive, not only causing them to live brand new lives on this earth, but ascending them and seating them alongside Christ in the heavens so that when He comes back, and institutes his kingdom, and destroys all opposition, we will shine with insane brightness, and we will testify God in his kindness is gracious beyond compare. Now why is this important? Because it's everything that Satan wanted and he will not get. I will make my throne like the heavens. I will ascend myself to the Most High. God is saying, no, you're a fool. I'm going to cast you to earth, and that's all you're going to have. You will end up in the lake of fire, and I'm going to take infinitely weaker, less creations called humans, and I'm going to institute for them the possibility of being elevated to a realm that you never dreamed possible because I'm going to sit them next to my son. That's grace. God has a definite point to prove to Satan, and he has no problem lavishly distributing grace upon you and me. Not because we deserve it, because he wants to. That's what he does. That's who he is. In order to paint an incredible picture. You can write that. Uh, this was a great quote of him. It is disclosed that the supreme purpose of God and salvation is that his grace in all its exceeding riches might have an adequate manifestation. What is Chafer saying? In the millennial kingdom, we're just going to grace the whole time because it's going to stand as a testimony against the enemy of God. It's going to be incredibly humbling to the people who I don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. That's crazy. It shows us what's possible in the supernatural. Let me give you this real quick. Here's, here's a way that it would look. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to him, You're a greedy fool. Why in the world are you doing that? He doesn't say that. Truly I say to you, those who have followed me in the regeneration, that's another way that Jesus says the kingdom. When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, that's how you know it's the kingdom, you shall sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. We've read about Peter. He has no business sitting there. Don't anybody give that guy a gavel? He cut off somebody's ear. Let's be honest. Is it about what Peter did? 
No, it's about how gracious God is. Everybody see that? That's how people change. Getting an eternal perspective of the surpassing greatness of God's power and recognizing that it's going to jettison us to heights we never dreamed possible. Everyone who's left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mother, children, and farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. That doesn't mean that you get eternal life because you didn't have it before. It's an inheritance, abundant eternal life. But many of the first will be last, last will be first. You guys, this is Jeff and Tricia. Did you guys feel it when they were up here talking? It ain't a joke to them. They're serious. They're not going on vacay in the mountains. That's not what they're doing. They're actually taking the means of going to a school that teaches you how to suffer well. That's not something we sign up for automatically. But the gospel is that important, isn't it? They're going to have many times as much. How about this one? Then I saw thrones and they sat on them. And I believe that's us, believers in Christ. Judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus. They refused to blaspheme Jesus. Because of the word of God, they held fast to the word of God. Those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. It's coming, guys. Yeah, this is a holy computer. It doesn't want it. It's coming. Get ready. This digital banking system, it's getting ready to come in, setting the precursor for the mark of the beast. Therefore, they received it on the forehead of their hand. They came to life and they reigned, which we were always intended to do from Genesis chapter 1 with Christ for a thousand years. What's the end of this? Here's what it is. I tried to put this together as best I could so that we see. You don't have to worry about chapter 2. What does the prayer from 1 go into 2? Because it's actually happened to us and will happen to us by His grace. It's a surpassing power. It's the strength of God and the resurrection and ascension of Christ that is also exercised in the redemption, resurrection, and ascension of the believer. By grace, we've been saved, we've been made alive, we've been ascended, and we've been seated presently. How can you be here in Wisconsin and be seated presently next to the Savior? Because it's another dimension. It's not that you're reserved to be there. You're there already. That's how much God thinks about this situation. In the coming kingdom, God will set us forth as undeserving objects of His grace. Can you imagine? Hey, everybody. Shh, shh, shh. Quiet down for a second. Look at Jeremy. He's an object of my grace. And everybody's going to be like, yeah. From up here, we saw what was going on in his life. Lord, you are so gracious. Lord, you are so amazing. Lord, you're surpassing greatness of your power manifested in him. Good grief. He's the only one that can take trash and make beauty out of that. That's what he does. It's the surpassing riches of his grace let's pray holy god thank you that you are gracious beyond compare amazing in all your promises clear and precise in your word when the when the when the sky rolls up like a scroll every eye will see those who pierced you will mourn But Lord, I'm thankful now, in this time, presently, in this day and age, you offer salvation full and free to anyone who would believe. You give them eternal life. You give them forgiveness of sins. You cause them to be indwelled by your Holy Spirit. You draw them as your own. 
And it's all because another took our place. We thank You for Jesus, His obedience. And I pray, God, that as we think upon the beauty that You desire to show in Your power being manifested, not just in Christ, but also relating in us that You desire to do above everything we could ever think of, just abounding riches towards us. Lord, we know we don't deserve it. It doesn't take much to convince us of that fact, but yet You graciously give Your such an incredible giver. And thank You, God, that one day You will call attention to us of simply showing us to be displays of Your great grace. Thank You, God, for how You love us. It's in Christ's name. Amen.